back to the podcast. I'm Anna Shaw. And I'm Kate Wilson. Now, this week's episode is a little bit different, and we're actually flashing back to one of our panels from the RFI Group New Zealand Banking Innovation Summit. So this was a couple of months ago, and it was based originally on our global digital banking series that was launched in 2017. And we have these conferences that we do globally, and this the summit is designed to focus on the ever-changing banking and digital offerings um, in the banking space, both in New Zealand and more more globally as well. Uh, so particularly focused on innovation. So this, this episode, we're actually going to go over to a panel discussion that Kate hosted. So Kate, do you want to tell us a little bit more about that panel session? Yeah, definitely. So this is a panel that I did, um, as Anna said, at the New Zealand Banking Innovation Summit on Buy Now, Pay Later. So at I mean, Buy Now, Pay Later is a topic I'm particularly interested in. This Joining me on the panel was Todd Wakrow from Zip, Chris Lemers from Hum, and Mandy Tomlinson from Layby. So uh, three quite different Buy Now, Pay Later providers, uh, three really interesting uh, leaders within the space, talking a lot about how the Buy Now, Pay Later market has grown and matured in New Zealand as well as in Australia, but also looking at some of the opportunities that are starting to emerge in other markets. So um, all three providers are, are going into new markets. Um, all of these panelists had a lot to say around uh, the future of Buy Now, Pay Later and growth in the Buy Now, Pay Later space, both in terms of expansion, but also in terms of new products and new constructs, um, and also did some myth busting around Buy Now, Pay Later. There's always a lot of uh, quite negative media attention that the sector gets. So it's really interesting to talk to them and get their views on how they're dealing th- with things like um, making sure customers um, have access to the products that they need, making sure they're not um, suffering from financial stress. So just a really uh, interesting conversation and, and hopefully you all enjoy it as much as I did. Great. Well, it's definitely a topical area at the moment. So looking forward to listening to this. So let's go over to the panel session. I'm joined by a really great panel here today. Um, key Buy Now Pay Later providers been been uh, sitting on this panel and we're going to be talking about the New Zealand market, some of the, the differences in New Zealand compared to the other markets, um, challenges that are facing Buy Now Pay Later more broadly. And we're also going to talk a little bit about the future of Buy Now Pay Later. But before we get into it, I'll hand over to my panelists to introduce themselves. Um, Todd, let's start with you. Okay, so yeah, Todd Wackrow. I'm the uh, country manager for New Zealand for Zip. Uh, so quick background, uh, history in uh, digital marketing and tech startups and was an early stage employee for company PartPay, which is a Kiwi startup who launched with uh, several others back in the uh, mid-2017. And then we were acquired by Zip uh, and ASX listed by now pay later in late no- uh, November 2019. And yeah, just... Uh, been through a couple of roles there in growth and more recently into the country manager role. Great. And Mandy? Hi, um, I'm Mandy Tomlinson. So I'm um, currently the GM of Australasia for Layby. So I've been with the business uh, about 18 months now. Um, and, and similar to um, Todd, we went through the ASX in the middle of last year. Um, so why not add another thing into the mix of COVID? Um, but I, um, my background is I'm a, a born and bred retailer. So I've been in, in the retail game for about sort of 18 years now um, and worked for a majority of different businesses um, across, you know, the Just Group um, and Overland Footwear in, in particular. 
um, and sort of became fascinated in the concept of buy now, pay later. I was sort of on the ground when it when it was released into the market and and, and was very interested in, in what it was doing to revenue and, and customer adoption. So came over to the other side um, and are now, um, are now taking care of the revenue and the operations and performance for the Australasia market for Layby. And Chris? So Chris Lamas from Hum Group, we're um, like everyone else listed in Australia. Um, based in Auckland, looking after Australia and New Zealand um, revenue and product. Um, background uh, sounds quite similar in many ways, but um, data and digital um, with a heavy focus on loyalty and retail. Um, been in this organisation, been in HUM for about four years. Um, so before Buy Now, Pay Later even really started. Um, and we do a range of products from, from credit cards to commercial leasing um, to Buy Now, Pay Later. I'm really looking forward to getting into all the nuances and all the differences between um, Zip, Layby and Hum. But what I might start off with is just a little bit about the New Zealand market. Um, we're seeing within our own data at RFI Group some really significant growth in terms of uh, buy now, pay later usage. Um, our data actually suggests that, that New Zealand is neck and neck with Australia in terms of buy now, pay later adoption. So I know we always think of Australia as sort of the leading market, but um, I would suggest that New Zealand is, is up there as well. Um, what I would be really keen to get you your thoughts on to begin with is what problem do you think Buy Now Pay Later is solving that traditional providers or traditional products haven't solved? Why has Buy Now Pay Later been such a success story in New Zealand? Um, Chris, why don't we start with you? Sure. Um, look, I think there's a bit of a misnomer here that um, it's solving a problem that that younger people are scared of credit. And, and they're actually not scared of, of credit. What they're scared of is interest. Um, and the complexity that goes around interest, um, the way that banks have treated that, um, and all of the fees and pile-on that go along with that. They're also scared that uh, getting approved as a 25-year-old with a $5,000 credit card limit, um, and that if they spend that, they're in a whole lot of trouble, whereas what Buy Now, Pay Later does really clearly is gives them the credit they want without the interest, but also at a level that they can't get into trouble. So it might approve them for $300 or $500, and then we manage that really closely. So it solves that problem around how do they be savvy with their money because these are they are far more financially conservative than Gen X or boomers were. Um, they're far more savvy with what they want to do with their money, um, but they also know that interest can be a debt trap and that's not what they want. I have been that 18-year-old with a $5,000 credit card. I completely understand that. that I may have been as well, but I don't want to admit that. <laughs> uh, Mandy, I can see you nodding along there. Anything else that you would add? Yeah, look, I think, yeah, I think Chris nailed it. I think, you know, probably the only thing I would add, you know, what was what was also really interesting to see, you know, during, especially during the pandemic, which I know we're going to talk about is, um, you know, with the uncertainty of the economy, you saw also a, a lot of consumers start to use it as a cash flow management tool as well. So, you know, there was a lot of uncertainty in the market and, and different age groups and different demographic of customers have actually come on board. And I think it's it's also for them being about, you know, whilst they, you know, can, can pay for that product up front, it's actually, you know, feels a lot better and a little bit more comfortable to pay it off over a period. Um, you know, and I think the other probably key point is um, for, for merchants and, and, you know, for retailers, um, you know, buy now, pay later, you know, solved a, a pretty big issue, uh, which was the traditional lay-by method uh, that was that was out in stores. And as a retailer, I can, uh, can give you some horror stories in regards to it. So I think, you know, 
for you know not only for consumers that had to wait you know a, a long period of time to to get that product once they'd paid it off but also for retailers who were having to manage that inventory in their back rooms um, but also you know generally that product was paid off at the end of the season uh, when product was was discounted and then you know had to be refunded and sold back at a discounted price so I think that erosion of margin as well by now pay later has been able to you know fill that gap in regards to helping those consumers manage it but not in a way that that is difficult for the teams on the floor as well. Yeah, all of our data really points to that idea of customers really like the management, the budgeting element of buy now, pay later. And it's, it's not just solving that that credit need, it's actually solving that need to manage my money better and control my money better. The other point to, to make, and we can't really escape at the moment, the impact of 2020 and the pandemic. I'd be really keen to hear what you what you have seen probably around your, your own customer base in particular through 2020 and the impact that the pandemic has had on um, buy now, pay later usage in New Zealand and I guess um, e-commerce more broadly as well. Um, Todd, do you want to start with that one? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I think it, the, as you sort of touched on, the main driver was just this huge shift to e-commerce because there, there was no alternative. So I think we all set, saw a you know massive uplift in, in online shopping and, and for people that in the past may have been holding off that and then they had no choice. So whether that's your, your typical retail or through to grocery, you know, food and beverage, those categories that, that people may have sort of held back on then all of a sudden they've been forced to do it and then found that hey this is actually pretty handy so I think uh, you know for our industry saw you know given that we are very strong in e-commerce I think that saw a lot of new customers introduced to, to buy now pay later as a payment method um, and I think that's short you know saw a lot of new customers coming into the market using the product and then I think continuing to use it um, and the other piece I suppose is just you know with the, the tighter economic climate I think more people that, that may have not needed a product like us or thought about it have also opened up and said, oh, actually, you know, budgeting and, and looking after my money's become a little bit more important than it might have been with that uncertainty. So I think a lot of people also there sort of were, you know, opened their eyes possibly to, to products they may not have thought they needed. And I think have, have come in and from, you know, all accounts sort of stayed with, stayed with us all as the pandemic has sort of flattened out a little bit in New Zealand. Yeah, Mandy, you you made that point before about customers using buy now pay later because of that budgeting element. How important do you think that has been throughout twenty twenty um, versus just something like people going online more often? Oh, absolutely. And I think you know Todd nailed that point. I think you know what what we saw in our data is in regards to the demographics of those customers and and some of those even those higher income earning brackets starting to adopt now to to buy now pay later. And again, I think it really came down to there being such uncertainty in the, in the market, um, you know, people felt felt better about having more cash in their wallets for that little bit longer, and therefore were managing that that money in that way. And that was that was huge. I think, you know, I think we saw something like Kiwis. We we saw another three hundred and two thousand Kiwis um, during COVID shop online for the first time as well, and that you know was a huge adoption. Um, to using, you know, to using buy now, pay later. But I think probably the other thing that's been, you know, I guess a real positive that's come out of, you know, and I, I don't want to say post-COVID because I think Melbourne's probably taught us we're not quite there yet. But, you know, post-lockdown, even, even to see the growth in bricks and mortar has been really positive and, and quite encouraging for us, um, you know, and to see customers sort of flock back to support those stores as well has been really exciting. So I think, 
you know, tighter economic, um, you know, reality, but also the, you know, some discretionary income for, for some customers in regards to, you know, not, not traveling and, and working from home um, and looking at investing that back into local markets. And, and that's where we've also seen a bit of a spike. Yeah, Chris, I'd actually be keen to hear from a hum perspective, especially since you go up to that larger value point. I'm, I'm imagining that throughout the pandemic, everyone's sitting at home wanting to buy new furniture um, that maybe has had a big impact for hum um, compared to the, the smaller buy now, play later providers. It was really interesting. I remember when we all got excited to come back to the office after that first lockdown last March. And I remember walking around some stores and I went into a, um, a sofa store that sells reason, reasonably expensive sofas, you know, like $10,000 sofas. And the waiting list was four months already because everyone had realised their sofa was a bit crap because uh, I'd used it a lot more. But, but people weren't going, going in and buying cheap stuff. They're buying quite expensive. And I think, you know, to, to Mandy's point, there was that displacement of, of travel. Um, but the interesting thing has been what's happened since then with, with literally tens of billions of dollars of stimulus flowing in. You've seen massive reduction in debt levels, um, you've seen um, we're all sitting, all of the buy now, pay laters are sitting at, at lower um, bad debt rates than we've ever had. Um, customers are not using credit cards in the way they were. Um, so it's been a massive beneficiary for, for buy now, pay later. And as people um, have tried it and used it, they, they, they love it and they find it easier. And it's just become part of their financial tool set now. Yeah, I think given what we've seen over the last, 12 to 18 months the the point that customers actually have more money available to them than they ever have before savings balances are at a, are at a high and they still want to use buy now later that just proves it's not just about not liking credit it's there's something else about this payment method that's really working for customers there, there is of course that that fun use case which goes um my golf clubs didn't cost fifteen hundred dollars they cost a quarter of that um, so, you know, there is some, some management of, of expectations with partners, I think, but it does help with. The number one reason wives hold it up hiding purchases from their husbands. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're so right. Um, I'm going to talk a bit more about um, misconceptions around buy now, pay later and, and vulnerable customers as well in just a moment. But before we move on to that topic, I did want to get your opinions around um, the growth that all of you are seeing and, and the multiple markets that you're all in. Um, Todd, I might start with you. It kind of seems like Zip is, is taking over the world at the moment. There's this constant news about Zip going into new uh, markets every day. Um, how difficult is it to go into the, all of these new markets, which are all so different to um, to New Zealand or to Australia? Yeah, it's, it's definitely exciting. Hard, hard for me to keep up um, some weeks, but um, I think a lot of it is, is about that, um, you know, adoption and, and where the different markets are at with the maturity. So I think in New Zealand, um, as you said, I mean, Australia led the way, but I think New Zealand just rapidly caught right up. I think here we're arguably, I'd say, probably the most competitive market um, in, the, in, the, in the world, just about, given all the, the great businesses down here and the, uh, the fairly limited number of customers. But, um, you know, I think those new markets, it's really just still about uh, adoption and, and awareness. So you look at the US and the, the UK for us, it's really just, you know, people are only just coming to terms with, with this product. So I think for them, it's really just about, you know, awareness, education, and getting more people using it. So I think here very mature it's probably more about you know pilot innovation and expansion where i think these new markets it's really just a you know a massive land grab to just get people kind of aware of, of the core service and we're seeing you know australia for example for zip has, has a number of products they've got a 
shorter-term account product. They've got a long-term finance. They've got business finance. But in the US, it's just all about a, you know, an installment, a, a six-week installment product, very single-minded, because it's really about just going, going deep with quite a clean single-minded product. And that, so it's really just, yeah, maturity um, piece is, is the differences between the markets. And then, um, Mandy, Chris, I might get your thoughts on, I think New Zealand and Australia and, and the UK are often seen as being very similar markets. And there's sort of an assumption that what works in, especially New Zealand and Australia, what works in one will work in the other. Um, to what extent do you agree with that? And what are the specific nuances that exist in New Zealand or the challenges that exist in New Zealand compared to some of those other markets you're in? Yeah, I think to Todd's point, I think, you know, obviously Australia kind of led the way around buy now, pay later and New Zealand picked up relatively quickly. So I think we we understand how the product works. I think, you know, merchants and retailers understand how to how to drive it and how to talk to it and how to use it. I think, um, you know, the other markets have been more challenging in regards to you're not just educating those businesses about who you are, but also what the product is and how you use it. And, and that that's probably the biggest challenge. Um, but in terms of New Zealand, and, you know, I think Todd kind of touched on it before, you know, our biggest challenge down here is obviously a relatively small market and a lot of competition here. So I think, you know, it's, it's how do we you know, as businesses make sure that we continue to innovate and, and you know, offer a program that it provides, you know, loyalty to, to consumers because we are, you know, there, there, there's only so many consumers that we have um, in, in New Zealand. Um, and I think as well for, for merchants, it's about them really thinking about their product offering and how do they make sure it's not about, you know, just having five buy now pay later on your platform it's actually really starting to be strategic and thinking about those different product offerings and it's important to have choice but how do you make sure that you know those are strategic and you're looking at different product offerings for your for your consumers so I think for us it's how we continue to differentiate and, and what is a, a very crowded market at the moment and just just picking that up the the only thing I disagree with is I, I'm finding a I think Australia in many ways is more competitive than New Zealand. Um, and I think it's because it's at a it's slight, even though adoption in New Zealand is high, the maturity level of the product in Australia is, is higher. So we're starting to get to that round where retailers are starting to go, hey, should we be paying this much for this product? So there's, there's margin pressure, obviously. Everyone nods, yes. Um, and, and, you know, you're also seeing customers now at kind of saturation. They've got enough buy now, pay later is in their wallet. Um, so I think Mandy made a really good point around that loyalty and differentiation. And we're all playing with what we do on open loop with cards versus closed loop. Um, and so I think Australia is, is more, com more competitive because it's more probably just a little bit mature, but New Zealand, um, there's only 5 million people here. So it's, it's a small market with some pretty big players now. In it, and, and so you do get that competitive escalating. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting to see the, the trend as retailers stop seeing the incremental growth from having a buy now, pay later on their site that they used to, um, that we stop seeing our growth rates, just astronomical growth rates that, that can't continue because everyone will have the product. So how do you then turn that into loyal customers? Um, and, and I think that will um, shake out the tree a little bit. Um, and I think there'll be a real positive thing because there's so many people, like there were 14 buy now, pay later companies entered into the market in Australia last year. Um, none of those are on this on this call. Um, and, and I don't think they'll be on a call in a few years time because I don't think they'll survive. Um, and I think that's a good thing. 
Yeah, I think there has to be, I mean, there is a natural ceiling in terms of adoption. And and to your point, I mean, both Australia and New Zealand are quite small markets. Um, it, it seems like there's a bit of a, a race to crack the US, but a lot more challenges there in terms of the market itself, how big it is. So it's um, getting people familiar with the product as well. Um, I guess to pick up on some of the, the other points that you've been making going through, what I'd be really keen to get your thoughts on are what the biggest misconceptions about buy now, pay later. I was sort of touched on some of them and, and buy now, pay later does obviously get quite a, 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 a I guess, a, rap, a bad rap in the, in the media. Um, there is a lot of myths, I think, around buy now, pay later. What do you think is the, the number one biggest misconception um, for, uh, I guess, for your service or, or for buy now, pay later more generally? Uh, Chris, do you want to start? Um, sure. Um, look, it, it's it's not dissimilar to taxi drivers complaining about Uber back in the day that um, they weren't following regulation, they weren't doing things well, um, but customers loved it, right? And um, and there's a lot of a lot of traditional finance companies that are saying we don't like buy now pay later. There's too many. There's too much arrears. And they quote that um, between depends on the company, but say between 15 and 25 percent of customers pay a late fee. Well, on credit cards, 50% of customers pay interest. It's the same thing. Um, so, so already that's a, that's a better outcome. Um, and I think so that's one of the, the biggest preconceptions is that it's, it's got these secret fees that customers are paying when I think it's the most transparent product um, in financial services. Um, and the second one is, is that having more than one buy now pay later is bad. Um, and because we go up to a higher limit, we actually um, do affordability once you get over $1,000. We look at people's bank statements, obviously with their permission. Um, and what we've found is a direct link between people having more than one buy now, pay later and their likelihood to pay us back. So it's actually an indicator to say they are a better credit risk because they understand the system and they know how to leverage it. Um, and, and it comes back to if you owe um, zip lay by and hum $400, that's 1200 bucks. Most people have a credit card with $5,000 on it. I mean, we just need to be realistic about the numbers here. So those are the two big misconceptions I'd correct overnight if I could. <laughs> Mandy, what are your biggest misconceptions? Oh, that's a tough gig to follow. I think, um, <laughs> look, I think Chris nailed that. I think again, uh, probably just touching on the credit piece and, and the you know misconception that consumers have credit cards linked to their buy now, pay later accounts as well. You know, I know, everyone will agree on the on the call but you know for labor in particular over 85 percent of our underlying cards are debit cards so again talks to that um you know shy away from interest bearing um but probably the other one that you know definitely is is in the market as well is probably around buy now pay later also you know driving people to buy product and things that they don't need um it's probably one that that i'll touch on and and there's no doubt that that buy now pay later, you know, you know, will help drive, you know, performance and and revenue. But I also think, you know, buy now pay later opens consumers and brands that are aspirational, you know, up to those consumers and allows them to, you know, look at product and and be open to brands that they they couldn't before. And I think one of the things you've really seen coming out of COVID is is consumers wanting to shop more mindfully and, and more locally. Um, and so, you know, we've seen a real benefit in regards to some of those more aspirational brands with higher price points and, and being able to target new customers. So I'd say that was a, that was a big one too. 
Yeah, that point about overspending, actually, we're starting to see that come through in our data as well. It wasn't there a couple of years ago. There was this idea of buy now, pay later helps me manage my money, gives me control. And because of the way buy now, pay later gets reported on in the media and the misconceptions around buy now, pay later, customers who love buy now, pay later and who use it are now saying, I wouldn't recommend it to a friend because while I can manage it, I don't know if they could and it might they might not use it correctly. Um, so I think there's a, a real mindset shift that's happening even amongst a buy now, pay later customer. Yeah. Um, Todd, any other misconceptions that you would add there? Yeah, look, I mean, similar theme. I think it's probably just the, the buy now, pay later versus the, the credit card thing. You know, credit cards are in people's wallets and, and don't seem to, to get talked about much. But, you know, whilst there's the veil of people who pay them off every month and get the loyalty points, you know, they're basically funded by people paying 20% plus compounding interest. And I think when you look at, you know, all our products, they're just designed in a fundamentally different way. You know, even aside from the no interest, we all have low, you know, pretty low default fees, low fee caps. As soon as you miss a payment, you can't keep shopping. You know, you miss a credit card bill. Hey, we'll just keep, we'll keep kind of adding the interest. You know, if you, you miss one payment, you can't shop anymore. You know, we all do hardship plans. Uh, you know, I'm sure all of us, if someone misses a payment and, and call us up, we'll talk to those customers and we'll put them on plans they can afford. So I, I just think our, you know, our products are just designed to, to, to generate kind of revenue in just a fundamentally different way that is as the customer at heart. So I, I think, and again, a lot of those narratives don't, don't tend to come out, but I think when you do actually dig into how these products work, they're not designed to get people in debt traps paying extra fees because if, if they're based on that, we'd never make any money because it's too lean. So I think that's just the, the big one there, which people seem to sort of, you know, struggle to connect with the more traditional finance companies, which really do make money by, you know, they want people to get, behind and late where we're just you know designed very differently i can tell you my pet peeve when whenever i see data about buy now pay later is the lack of comparison to traditional credit so saying x percentage of buy now pay later customers um have fallen behind on payments for what's what percentage of credit card holders are behind on their payments there's this, this sort of or oh, there's this percentage who who seem to be struggling with debt i'm, I'm sure there is a similar percentage on on credit cards and I think there's it's probably just a, a misalignment of what we should be worried about if we're if we're worried about people who are in financial hardship financial stress um, who don't have good financial literacy that is actually a separate problem that doesn't impact on um, or we shouldn't be impacted by the products that they're using it's about solving that problem for those people more specifically um, and I think um, just just on that I think um, one of the things Todd mentioned um, and, and I think we've all said it about we've compared ourselves to each other's products. We all know each other's products really well. We've all been through it. We've all got each other's products, I'm sure. We all know the flows. We know the hardship numbers. The numbers are all really similar. But the basis for where we all come from, and, and this is a, as a whole industry, is, is good customer outcomes. Um, we don't have a, a profit target to protect from every year. And so I think that's a really different mindset. And I think over time, when this becomes more established, all of this noise will go away. Um, but the challenge for us is to keep that good customer outcomes to our to the fore. Um, and as an industry, we do work pretty collaboratively to make sure that that customers are looked after. Um, what we're seeing in our research at the moment, there's while there's this sort of idea that buy now, pay later displaces credit, and I'll, I'll get all of your opinions on this in a moment, but our research actually suggests that because buy now, pay later is the first product that millennials use who traditionally haven't or haven't yet, yet used credit um, and are a bit scared of it, that buy now, pay later actually gives them confidence that they can make repayments and they can manage 
um, debt, which actually translates into just greater um, appetite for traditional credit as well. So they, it's a, a stepping stone, they feel comfortable um, moving on to a more traditional credit product. Um, what I'd be interested in getting your thoughts on is, is how buy now, pay later and traditional credit really play together. I think that idea of buy now, pay later, displacing credit, in particular that that for the, the likes of Zip and Layby at that lower end. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that you are taking share away from credit? Do you think that was a trend that was was already happening? What's the relationship between the two? Uh, Mandy, why don't we start with you on that one? Yeah, I think look all the trends and the and the stats point to obviously the decline in credit cards. So we've already spoken about the adopt, you know, the adoption of debit cards onto buy now pay later. Uh, accounts look I think credit cards will always be there I think you know the market and, and consumers are now you know more educated and more aware on on what interest and, and what consequences come from those they've grown up with mum and dad who've had you know student loans and large credit card debt and high mortgage rates so they're just managing their money differently um, so I think you know What's been really interesting for us, and I'm sure, um, you know, Chris and Todd have seen it as well, is we're seeing the decline in credit cards across every age group um, and the increase of buy now, pay later across every age group. So there are certainly, you know, all the trends point, you know, in the right direction for us in regards to the adoption of buy now, pay later. But I, I don't think that, you know, credit cards are, are a thing of the past. I think it, it's just they're going to be managed and used in a different way and, and you know, that will be interesting to watch how that navigates over the next sort of five years. Todd, do you think Zip is stealing share away from credit cards? Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's no uh, I think there's no doubt in that. I think all, all the data is showing sort of people are shifting away. I mean, it's slightly different, probably Tate to Mandy, but it depends what you think. You know, traditional creditors. If traditional creditors product based on getting people paying twenty percent plus compounding interest, I think they will they won't exist. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the day everyone starts paying their credit cards back in 30 days and banking the airpoints is the day the banks stop offering them, right? They're just not financially viable products. So um, I think it's definitely the switch, but I do think the industry, I think we're having a, you know, a positive change on the industry. You know, banks and some of these traditional finance products are just not going to be able to exist the way that they, they do because they, they don't have the customer's best interests at heart and, and they're designed to make money uh, you know, in, in an opposite way to that. So I think you'll see that, um, you know, the industry will start to be disrupted. I think everyone will, will do better. I think the banks will do better. They're going to have to. But I think you're going to see an evolution of, of products that, you know, traditional credit, as far as what we see today, you know, into the future, I just really doubt there will be products that are constructed the same way because I think, you know, customers are, are proving with their, you know, the way they're flocking to our products and how much they're spending through our products that they are, uh, they're choosing, uh, you know, they're choosing a different path. So I think it'd be really interesting how that does evolve from a broader industry point of view around what kind of credit becomes. Yeah, the I, I think credit has to evolve as customers start to have different interactions with it. Um, Chris, the I guess you could argue that Hum has, I Todd just raised the point that what is a traditional credit product, but you could argue that Hum has both traditional credit products yeah. and buy now, pay later. Um, how do you see those two product sets complementing each other? Uh, look, I, I think the the evolution's obvious to everyone that credit cards uh, will will stay important, but not the way they are now. And um, one of the things that buy now pay later does really well is takes a transaction and puts that into instalment payments. Um, that it's not necessarily good for your morning coffee, um, for your lunch, 
um, or your weekly grocery shopping because, you know, it doesn't take long before your grocery shopping kind of looks a bit messy on buy now, pay later. Um, but so we, we actually launched a product um, last year in Australia called Bundle, which actually takes all of those purchases and bundles them into an installment plan. So your weekly spend um, and allows you to set different payment schedules for, for different things. And I think that's what credit cards still do really well is it takes all your everyday spend and allows you to cash flow manage that. And so it doesn't take a rocket science to work out that maybe there's a fusion between buy now, pay later and credit cards coming. Um, there's no doubt, as, as Todd said, that that compounding interest um, is a cause of concern. I'm looking forward to the day that, that that compounding interest is understood on mortgages and we start to actually get a better mortgage model because uh, that's where we all pay the most interest. Um, but the, the, the reality is banks are going to be challenging their credit card books and credit cards, as you've seen in Australia, will evolve um, to meet this new need. And, and I think that's a great thing for customers. No interest mortgage sounds pretty good as well. It does sound pretty good. Eh? I'm trying to work out how to get me one of them. Chris can find that one, I think. But um, <laughs> love that, love that. You can let me know when you find that one. I'm all yeah. in. Yeah, I need to be more than a $10 late fee. <laughs> My final couple of questions here, and I'll keep this short so I know we're, we're running out of time, but wanted to ask you a little bit about the future of Buy Now, Pay Later. I think speaking to all of you today, we're all in agreement that Buy Now, Pay Later is, is here to stay and credit cards and the rest of the market are going to have to adapt based on what customers, are, what they want and, and how they're using Buy Now, Pay Later versus those um, the traditional, those those products that already have the, that are older, I guess we could say. Um, I guess the other thing that we've seen a lot of lately is obviously Buy Now, Pay Later going into new markets. So expansion uh, geographically, we're seeing new products being launched. We've seen Afterpay starting to launch um, more sort of traditional banking products. We're seeing lots of buy now play providers launching physical cards. Uh, what I might end with is, is anything that you can share about what you are looking at over say the next 12 to 18 months, um, if you can share what you're, what you're working on as a, as a provider, um, but also just what you think that you'll, we'll see more of in the industry, if there's anything else that you think um, we can expect to see from buy now, pay later in the, the sort of near term the, over the near future. Um, and Todd, I'll start, I'll start with you. You're obviously, Zip, obviously in lots of different markets, um, launching physical cards. Anything else you can share around what you're up to or, or any uh, predictions for the future of the industry? You can't, I didn't want to be first on this one, giving <laughs> so much away. But uh, no, look, I mean, I think it'd be fair to say that you know, product innovation, I think is going to be massive. I mean, you do look at, especially New Zealand, buy now, pay later kind of has quite, you know, between the guardrails of sort of, you know, six to kind of 10 weeks, same sort of price point. So I think, you know, across our business uh, with markets, you know, Aussie, US, UK, you know, UAE and Europe recently, we've got, you know, long-term finance products, short-term you know, business lending. So I think there'll be a real push around, you know, taking some of those core attributes and customer benefits from buy now, pay later and, and really extending them into new use cases. So, you know, high ticket items or bigger purchases for customers. I think business lending, we've got, Zip Business in Australia, which is a mix of both capital into businesses, but also a buy now, pay later kind of account for businesses. So I think the real push will be, um, you know, it's been a bit of a, that gold rush to go deep and, you know, with kind of retail. But I think you'll see, you know, us and I'm sure a lot of a lot of the other players starting to expand our product offerings and what's made them, you know, such loved by, by customers into to broader kind of verticals and different use cases. Yeah, definitely. I think there's still, while we talk about the, the market being mature, I think there's still a lot that could that could still happen and, and grow and evolve. Um, 
Mandy, anything you can share around what lay-by is up to or, or predictions for the industry? Yeah, I think in terms of lay-by, you, you know, you kind of nailed it um, before. You know, we've obviously launched a, 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 a um, tapless card, you know, um, not that long ago that launched in November. Um, you know, we are, you know, going gangbusters at the moment in the UK and, and we're about to hit the US market. So there's no doubt that there's still a lot of opportunity globally where you'll start to see by now pay later, you know, start to, we're not at the maturity. And isn't it funny we say maturity here, we've, we've only really been, been around for five or so years, but, um, you know, there's still a lot of opportunity there. So you'll see those key players, you know, play into those markets. Um, and there's no doubt there'll be more innovation in, in the market and, and, I think for us, you know, Lay-By in particular, we will definitely look at those other product options and we're continuing to listen to our consumers. They're telling us what they want and the way that they're spending. But I also think for us, it's really important that we also look after our existing product. I think there'll be a lot of noise over the next sort of 12 months in regards to regulation and what that's going to look like. You know, we we welcome that. You know, we're, we're well along that journey at this, this moment. But I think you know, one of the challenges that you have when you're in a really fast growing industry is it's really easy to move really fast and forget about what's behind you. Um, so I think for us in particular, looking after our existing business and, and supporting our, you know, our consumers and our merchants with our existing product is going to be just as important for us. So lots to come, um, but also making sure we continue to, to provide a, a level of service that's, that's excellent. Absolutely. And I think I said physical cards before when I obviously meant virtual cards, but I think that idea of um, the in-store is, is still really an untapped opportunity for buy now player, which we kind of forget about sometimes with all of this oh. speak about going into new markets and launching brand new products. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the good news that's come out of, you know, the media and the announcements around, you know, the regulation of some of those merchant fees, you know, and, and PayWave in particular in New Zealand, we know we're at less than 70% penetration um, of PayWave here, you know, versus 99% in the other markets. So I think, you know, that will be a huge win for, for merchants and, and for consumers um, who want a, a really quick and, and easy transaction. So it's pretty exciting. Absolutely. Chris, final thoughts, uh, what's come up to, what can you predict we'll see happen in the industry coming in the next couple of years? Yeah, look, I think um, buy now, pay later in the business space, um, as has been mentioned, is, is the next frontier. We've launched, launched that product uh, in Australia and New Zealand and seen really quick take up because they're getting such a tough deal at the moment um, from, from the banks, right, who, who want them to, to fill out 50 forms and wait three weeks for something that we can do in four minutes. Mm. So I think that's, that's a really interesting space. The um, in-store space is... You know, like every payment format should be available everywhere. And, and we've all launched cards recently that allow that to happen. Um, so I think that's a really good step forward. But I think it's going to be um, a really big push into data, customer understanding, relevant offers, loyalty. Um, I think that's going to be a big trend, like it has been for credit cards. The challenge will be doing it on the, the finer margins that exist in, in this product. Um, so you're going to see some really interesting innovation. And then, you know, we've got... You know, we've all knocked the banks a bit, but they're pretty, they're pretty smart, pretty smart banks, right? So they're going to come out fighting. And I think that's going to be going to be really fun to be part of um, as we really change the financial services industry. Um, and that's what I'm excited to see in 12 months that that I don't think there'll be all these startups. There's going to be a whole lot of mature organizations um, doing some really cool stuff. Yeah, we haven't even spoken about the banks or about loyalty programs, um, which are obviously two other really big key, key themes, but there's just so much happening in this space at the moment, we can't cover it all. 
Uh, we could literally talk about this all day, but um, I will wrap up there. Um, thank you so much for your time. That was a great panel. And um, for our viewers and listeners, enjoy the rest of the conference. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Global Digital Banker Podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and Podbean.